John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 733.HE1032, certificate number 26215. The longest prize fight. I just asked you um, right before we started for this for the record for the historical record here. I'm, just, I'm assuming i'm going to remember this I, if it just happened it just barely happened okay um i asked you what you thought about boxing and you said oh yeah you what did you say i remember this uh let me think let me think this was just a just a minute ago just a minute ago um take, I, your, take your time here i don't know anything about boxing that's and, what you said yeah and uh i know you said i know literally nothing about boxing i feel like y- you and i were raised somewhat in the same era although you're as we've discussed, considerably younger. I'm the other side of the Star Wars line. Bo- both, both in youth and experience, and and I think you know, and energy and vitality. Yeah, perspective. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was raised in an era when boxing was considered the sport of kings. Still, somewhere, sure. you know, the the heavyweight champion was a was a major cultural figure. If you were a, a, a wealthy a player, a, a, a man on the scene. You went to the big prize fight in a tuxedo with a beautiful woman on your arm. It w- was wide world of sports. Yeah. Right. Every weekend. Really a big deal. Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell. I mean, this, this was a, even for a kid in elementary school, the kind of banter between Howard Cosell and, and Muhammad Ali was like, was something that made it into the pages of Mad Magazine every issue. Possibly, possibly <laughs> the biggest celebrity of the 20th century, right? Muhammad Ali. Especially in hindsight. Globally, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, which is not something you could say about boxing today. No, well, even in the 1980s, like uh, De La Hoya and all these characters, I mean, they were well, well known. Rocky, one of the biggest films. And yet watching boxing... I just came up empty in terms of any emotional connection to the, I mean, I've watched a thousand boxing matches. Really? You've watched literally a thousand? One thousand. And then I you stopped. Them. And then you stopped. <laughs> You're like, I, like, <laughs> I did it. I have achieved my goal and I can stop watching these terrible Central American boxing matches. You know, it was, it was, it was primetime television for yeah. a long time. And then it. Before it became pay-per-view, which maybe is a big thing that stratified, that, that moved boxing away from the American cultural mainstream. Is you had to pay 
20 bucks to see a fight. Right, which I would never do. But, but you know, the, the Rumble in the Jungle major event in its time, and then also when that documentary came out, what, a dozen years ago? 90, no, more than that. It's, it? it's literally 96, I think. <laughs> no way, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was so young. Well, it's, that's the rule of thumb. I believe in this. And if anybody in our age says something happened a certain number of years ago, you just have to multiply it by two. You just double it. You said 12 years, and I think it's 25. I was on a motorcycle trip uh, this past week, which I'm sure I will reference 1,000 times in the next year. Unprompted. And, uh, and one of the guys on the trip, I was like, you know, going around these corners and it says it's 35 miles an hour, you know, the, the speed limit signs, right? They're, they're actually on a motorcycle. They're useful in a car. You ignore them completely or sure. almost completely, but on a motorcycle, they really communicate something. And, uh, one of my, one of the guys I was riding with said, you can safely double the speed limit sign, but he's a better motorcyclist than I am. And I was like, no, I go 10 miles over, but not, I'm not going to turn a 25 into a 50. There's no way it's actually, no matter how good the motorcyclist, I don't know if doubling is the safe. Well, he does that thing where he leans all the way over until his watch is dragging on the pavement. He goes through a lot of watches. But, uh, but I do feel like I've kind of not, I don't resist it. Like I do a lot of sporting events, like honestly, and I know I'm going to get a lot of uh, hate for this, but I don't want to watch a basketball game. I just feel like right now. I don't want to watch one now. I don't want to watch one in a car. I don't want to watch one in a bar. Uh, I'll go to, I used to go to Sonics games because they were fun events. But, but you're not going to sit at home watching the game. No. And I would watch boxing before I would watch uh, basketball. And I think I would watch MMA. That's what I was going to ask. I've, Another I've, thing that's kind of challenged the supremacy or, you know, the cultural currency of boxing is the fact that we have new, better boxing that young people actually like, not just... 85-year-old Italian-American man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. MMA is like super kick-your-butt boxing. I went to an uh, an all-woman MMA fight in- In your dreams. In, no, in San Francisco. And it felt, it happened in a warehouse. It felt like a- <laughs> Were you shooting a music video? It was, no, it was pretty this, rad. This real. It was weird. It was, it was in the East Bay and drove over there and, you know, driving up streets where, you know, there aren't any street lights. Like, where is this place? And then- and then you started to see guys in like lowered Japanese cars peeling out and putting smoke in the air. And you're like, I bet we're getting close. Big fog machines set up. And it was really, I mean, extremely violent and also uh, captivating and, and, and astonishing to see it in person, you know? Uh, well, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about with regard to boxing, not just kind of its decline from like the biggest headlines in America, Ollie Liston foreman that era right to where it is today kind of mike tyson we haven't even mentioned him yet i mean that's so that's my childhood like i have i have an idea i have a memory of ali as a cultural figure you know talking into a talking into a 70s era microphone but i don't i can't picture him fighting whereas i grew up watching tyson fight and maybe i don't know who's the last boxing superstar i mean i guess you know floyd mayweather yeah the highest earning athlete in the world as recently as whatever five years ago so 10 is that right sure like, yeah, you know, he made, I'm sure, $245 million some year when the biggest soccer player made a third of that. Yeah. Huh. Um, so there's a global aspect to boxing, but it doesn't seem like it's really water cooler talk at work the way it would have been in 1935, 65, 75. Yeah, it's, it's Tyson Holyfield. I don't know who the last superstar is. It doesn't disseminate down to the, the, 
the bedrock like it like it once did. Certainly, I don't know who the heavyweight champion of the world is right now. There's or... the you know the very smart alignment of teams with cities is kind of what keeps um, football. It keeps the all te- all major team sports kind of thrive on. You have been given an allegiance, <laughs> right. whereas boxing does not give you that. You have to like read up about boxing to decide. You know what I like? I like this Panamanian guy, and I hate this Russian guy. And that seems like a lot of work. I just want to see the team with my city in the name, and then I'll be like, "Woo!" Well, that's the thing we we notice in going to baseball games all summer. There's always a summer doldrum where the baseball stadium has eight thousand people in it, and then if your team does well, all of a sudden everybody in Seattle is you know lifelong Mariners. We're a fan. big bandwagon sports city, yeah, for sure. I'm kind of wondering how long the Seahawks can coast now that the Mariners are dominant again and the Seahawks are struggling. Yeah, they're all the thing about the Seahawks is they only play what seven games in a whole season, so eight here. Yeah, all those people that are that live in Anchorage and Portland that don't have a professional football team, Montana. You know, they all can afford to come out here a couple of times. So it's the Seahawks are way more of a regional sports franchise. It's true. But um, I don't know what their TV ratings look like. Because I remember what it was like before they were playoff perennials, you know, like previous to the Russell Wilson era. You came up there in were the not, Bri- Brian Bosworth era. There were not 12 <laughs> signs on building on flags on every building in Seattle 10 years ago, you yeah, know. that's true. Or 20 years ago, I'm probably half off. But Did the, you care about boxing? Uh, w- watching Mike Tyson? Were you uh, boxing? I feel like I've seen more boxing movies than boxing matches in my life. Yeah, that seems And fair. I have not seen a thousand. So I've not seen a thousand and one boxing matches, nor a thousand and one boxing movies. But it really does seem to me like a cultural trope where I've seen more Twilight Zone episodes about boxers than I've seen actual interviews with boxers. Yeah, the boxer is the is a tragic American figure. There's Paul Simon songs about him. Yeah, well, he's in a clearing, that guy. What the hell is he even doing out there? Maybe that's not even, maybe that's like a dog, like a boxer dog. Oh, or maybe like in a- In a clearing stands a boxer and he's yeah. peeing by a tree. Or like a, like a Porsche boxer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Paul Simon was thinking about that. Uh, but yeah, the 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 character of like uh, because a boxer is always a scrappy guy from the streets who never who never had any prospects and now he's got a shot, you know he's he's got a he's got a chance and he's and he's coming up out of a it's like a class yes. transcendence, yes. right? There's like the it's the one place where a blue collar guy can suddenly be uh, a made man. You All can, he has to do is go through this. He has this to punch some sides of beef. Yeah, and he's got, but he's also like got to get up in a ring, literally like dancing for his wealthy patrons, right? There's this, there's a kind of aspect of it where he's get, he's getting beaten to entertain well, the fat cats. You can't get away from that in yeah. boxing, right? Like boxing is the sport where CTE was first discovered and i think now you know the the concussion nfl thing yeah um and you know you couldn't watch muhammad ali for the last 20 years of his life and think is boxing really an unmitigated good like <laughs> it's this a gladiator was, this was the you know this was the 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 quickest man in america the world marveled at this guy and here's what boxing did to him and yeah there's something unseemly about just the fact that I mean, they're cho- choosing to fight, but two people are being made to fight. And it's not, the violence is not secondary to the game as it is even in ice hockey, you know, or, or, or car racing. Right. Where the point of what you're seeing is literally 
two people are tr- are trying to knock each other down by the same methods that you would try to knock down a guy outside a bar. Right. Um, you know, with some rules. And as you say, there is this class thing that overlays. When I read defenses of boxing, because boxing is legal everywhere. There were a few countries that banned it. Uh, Norway and Sweden on humanitarian grounds. Cuba, Cuba on the grounds that it's um, incompatible with Marxism. Cuban boxers are, were some of the great boxers. Uh, they must have had to leave. But it's incompatible with Marxism. You have to, say, you have to agree with that's that. That's the number one thing I think when I see a, a boxing match. WWMD. You go out and, and, and survey the whole world in those terms, though. Is this compatible with Marxism? Is this Wendy's beef and cheddar? It's very tough when you're car shopping. <laughs> and I can see Scandinavians banning it. It's one of the many reasons why I, I, am, I have a little bit of disdain for Scandinavia. But, well, let me hold you off because in recent decades, they have Norway and Sweden and Cuba have all decided to reallow oh, boxing. It's newly compatible with Marxism and, and democratic <laughs> We've socialism. We've discovered, discovered a, a, a excerpt of a letter from Marx where he's like, dear Fraulein, I have just been to the prize fights in london <laughs> it's like games buddha wouldn't play but then <laughs> reevaluated. yeah would buddha box huh that's a good question i mean what was buddha's stance on war i don't even i i, I need to start doing yoga so i can have an entree into understanding pop buddhism i'm almost certainly i'm almost certain that the buddha was against war fighting violence Pun- yeah. punching the guy next to you let's go that's let's one of the main record th- and say yes that's one of the main things he said <laughs> don't, don't punch the don't guy. punch the guy next to you he told his disciples <laughs> what, what is this the- <laughs> what is the sound of one hand punching <laughs> what about the guy that's being pitted against you by fat cats so that's the other thing so when you read defenses of boxing in this world where a bunch of major medical associations are to this day are like boxing should be banned um there are the defenses from the boxing world are things like well other sports actually have you know by the numbers horse Equestrian events are actually more dangerous than boxing, but the other uh, the thing the thing they always do is they'll they'll say well bo- boxing like other martial arts they'll do this kind of uh, verbal jujitsu where they'll literally compare it to jujitsu right and be like you know you wouldn't you wouldn't be against karate would you um, I mean carpentry so, is more is more dangerous than being a police officer sure so it's catching salmon is is twice as dangerous as either right right right. Um, so yeah, the perception, Crabs. the perception of danger and the, the, what, what looks like two guys wailing on each other is, is different, but, but, but boxing literature, it's also a topic it's for, there's gotta be every other Norman Mailer out there is, has written a treatise on how boxing is the sport of Kings. And it's because of the, the gladiatorial thing you mentioned, yeah. you know, the, the, the drama is not diffused to members of a team. It's very much. A conflict similar to conflicts I understand, like schoolyard fights or whatever, and it's just happening one-on-one in the biggest stage imaginable. Do you have grit? Do you have what it takes? Uh, can you go the distance? Can you go the distance? Go the distance. Well, I'm going the distance. Like Rocky loses, but he goes the distance. He does go the distance. Well, and then he wins against the Russian super bot. Well, he he beats Apollo first in, in Rocky Two. Right, right, right. Later, he, he had James Brown's. Later, head. he beats Mister Two, Mister T, and a and a Russian bot and and all the rest. But um, but yeah, there's just something about the. So w- when I read that kind of martial arts sleight of hand, I was like, well, yeah, I let my kids do Taekwondo, and uh, and it really it, it kind of. And I was wondering, is my kind of visceral distrust of boxing due to the fact that. Martial arts today in America are kind of a 
middle class practice. It's it's kids from the good middle school and it's um twenty eight year old tech guys taking lessons in their dojo. Whereas as you say, there's this class overlay to boxing where, you know, from the very beginning in America it was Irish and Italian American immigrants and right. and today, you know, it, more recently it's been a way for other immigrants from other places, people and people of color to get ahead in a world where that was difficult. It's interesting in Seattle that you know, the kind of hip hop community is absolutely much more aligned with martial arts than with boxing, at least in my experience. It's a, it's of a it. post Wu Tang world. Yeah. And, and, and martial arts is, can, is close, more closely connected to like competitive dancing than boxing, which seems like such a formal and monolithic, but not, it's not that martial arts aren't formal, but I don't know. I just see a lot of the, I see a lot of hip hop in martial arts that you would think, I think 30 years ago, there was a lot of hip hop in boxing. So, I mean, culturally, I, I, I wonder yeah. if that trend hasn't happened across class lines or whatever. But, but I, but I've also noticed that, that there are a lot of, that there's a lot of excitement around women in boxing that didn't exist when we were kids. Foxy boxing? When was Foxy boxing invented? <laughs> no, but like, but you know, the, the fact that it's opened yes. up to, yeah. a, uh, to different genders now is like this place where finally it's there's exciting. a spot for people to, for, for everyone to beat the living crap out of one another. That's because that's, what's important. And for some promoter to take most of the money from them. Where do you stand on the idea that, that we have an obligation to protect ourselves from ourselves? I mean, there's so many things. Oh, I'm a hundred percent pro nanny state, John. <laughs> I think you know this. <laughs> I do. Uh, but like, you know, yeah, you, you beat each other up and you end up with Parkinson's disease, but also what else? I mean, there's everything we do. I mean, by that same logic, like bong hits should go back to being illegal. Um, <laughs> you realize bong hits are still illegal on the federal level. Oh, at the federal level, right? But the you know, in the, here in the state of Washington, bong hits are like you you're to- in your little bubble, John. <laughs> like I like how your example of something that would be crazy to be, to make illegal would be cannabis, which is literally illegal. No, you're right. I mean, uh, nobody's forced to uh, become a heavyweight boxing celebrity or even a young scrappy. Uh, guy from the neighborhood but like bloomberg banned soda pop and oh. rightly so <laughs> no really nothing makes me more angry about the nanny state than uh, being in california i was in southern california a week ago and you know every time i get a drink it's got some waxed paper straw that in like 10 milliseconds falls apart in your mouth oh because straws are killing the dolphins straws are plastic and plastics right. in the ocean right, therefore right. you must like try to use your drink with this weird dissolving piece of paper that feels weird on your tongue. One of the things, one of the the defining characteristics of omnibus is that we really don't know where to fall on nanny statism because it's every single one of the the test cases is its own unique like the, you cannot apply a, a an overarching principle to it right. because on the one hand we don't want straws in the ocean, but on the other hand this straw sucks. On the other hand, you know, we don't want smoking in bars but also, but is that partly just because neither of us smoke anymore or right. you never smoke? It's but. very difficult on the merits to say, you know, in each of an individual case, you have to decide is the symbolic value of reminding people 
of what plastics do really worth this meaningless gesture <laughs> of giving them a unpleasant straw. We saw people carrying around metal straws with them. Oh it, yeah. That's the, that's the world we live in now. Oh, that's okay. Not because they were going to order a Moscow mule, but because that's so jazzy. I just don't understand why the paper ones, the cornstarch ones are fine. You know, Omnibus is pro cornstarch straws. On this uh, recent motorcycle trip I took, one Wait, of, you were on a motorcycle trip? <laughs> there, was a, there was a support van carrying the pizza oven because it was kind of a- <laughs> You're it's, glamping. It's a rustic motorcycle trip, but also a glamping one. And uh, the young woman who was driving the motorcycle support van said that she didn't feel like this was going to be a long-term job for her because she believed that these motorcycles contributed to global warming. And, you know, the motorcycles get 60 miles to the gallon. Um, unlike her van. Unlike her van, which is getting 10 or 9 miles to the gallon. But but uh, but it did seem like, you know. It was a symbolic. It's like. Meat fraught with Yeah, of all, the, of all the ways that we can control carbon emissions, like these six motorcycles are probably not where you want to draw the line. But maybe it is. Maybe maybe that is where you, where you draw the line. I where mean, do we draw the line on boxing? I mean, substantively, I, I do see like there is a reason that's not just class-based to distinguish boxing from the other martial arts. Oh. I mean, I think you can get a black belt in pretty much any martial art and never get hit in the head once, right? I mean, oh. there's, there's different emphases on uh, martial arts as a hobby than there are to the actual combat sports, boxing among them. Mm-hmm. And this has been recognized for a long time that uh, the kind of the thrill of boxing is, you know, not unlike stock car racing that uh, somebody might break some bones. Um, right. Boxing is an ancient sport. We have it on Greek vases and Mesopotamian tablets. And there's evidence from India and Egypt. And, you know, people used to, two strapping young guys used to wrap leather around their fists and wear very little clothes and just, Hmm. Go at it. And after that, they would, they would box. That's a joke. Lol. Uh, you know, so boxing is dates back to the classical period, but it was, it was rediscovered in kind of the late medieval period in well, Europe. Well, doesn't what wouldn't boxing and, with a certain number of rules be as ancient a sport as any don't kick me in the, in the, in the peanuts. Well, those, those kind of rules did not exist. I mean, come on! If you if you were t- two cavemen fighting it out o- over a rock, over who over a beautiful rock, surely one of them at some point said, "Look, let's let's keep this above the belt. Let's keep this above the the fur." Well, you would only want that if you're if you're bad at kicking below the fur. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, it, it, the rules the rules um, so disadvantage. All, you're the, saying uh, all prehistoric fights fighter. were just were just uh, peanuts fights. Biting gout. So the very first regular, the, the the first set of rules to regulate boxing, which you know, boxing was not revived in the United Kingdom until like the late seventeenth century, around seventeen hundred. When did the Marquis de Queensberry live? He is a Victorian figure. Oh. Prior to him, um, Jack Broughton, a uh, a London fighter, uh, introduced the rules of bare-knuckle boxing that became what are called the London Prize Rules of 1838. Well, that's a great boxing name. Jack Broughton? Jack Broughton. Gentleman Jack Broughton. I'm sure he was... Uh-huh. I, you know, a lot of these guys, it's like... Uh, I mean, we're going to meet John Graham Chambers next, a Welsh sportsman. But the reason why these rules were ruled out is they were literally to curb deaths. People love going to boxing matches in, in London amphitheaters, but it's a, it's a you know... As, as we've said, it's emotionally complicated when one of them dies. 
And so this is literally when rules had to be established saying things like, look, what if there's no headbutting? What if there's no gouging, scratching, biting, hitting below the belt? Like these were things that had to be introduced by fiat in the 1830s because this is not what was going on in bare knuckles biting. Don't hit a guy while he's down. You can't grab a, you can't hold a, a stone or a piece of resin in your hand to punch the guy, you know? so A piece of resin? This is like W, this is like pro wrestling rules. No foreign objects. Don't hit the guy in the back of the head with a folding chair. Um, and rounds did not have a time limit at this time. Un- under the London prize rules of 1838, rounds would just go until um, Whoa. your man went down. Whoa. <laughs> So you're expecting a world where cavemen are like, yo, I don't want to be gouged. I don't want to be kicked in the junk. I assume the same is true of you. Yeah. Let's shake hands on this. But really, that's not how boxing was until the 19th century. Huh. And, you know, you mentioned... The Greeks didn't kick, kick each other in the kick, peanuts? Kick dirt in each other's oh, eyes, did. probably. Oh. I, I don't know. I mean, we don't... We're, we're seeing mostly, for the most part, we're seeing um, visual representations of boxing. Right. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there were if there was some kind of order and regulation. But as it arrived in, you know, post-Renaissance Europe, it was pretty much no holds barred until they were like, look, too many people are dying. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to... I know, I know, but we're going to have to say no gouging. It's kind of a bummer. I know you guys love the gouging, and I'm sure we're going to lose fans who are just there for gouging. Um, in, uh, in, the 1860, in the 1860s, um, there's a... Welsh sportsman named John Graham Chambers. He's a multi-sport athlete who comes up with an even more civilized, regulated set of rules for boxing. You know, now we're in the well into the Victorian period and decorum is important, I guess. Right. And I think there's just recognition that still boxing is not great for the people involved. And, uh, you know, we'll get more legitimacy if we can sand down the rough edges a bit. So that's when you start to get three-minute rounds. Oh. Um, that's when you start to get a 10-count um, when a boxer is down, you know, or to get back to his corner, his or her corner, we would uh-huh. say today. Yeah. And most importantly, in 1865, the introduction of boxing gloves, which, oh. which had not been used in the bare knuckles era. In fact, that's why it was called the bare knuckles era. So <clears throat> boxing gloves, now I, now I have that, that initial picture of, uh, of two guys in high-waisted shorts with uh, handlebar mustaches and, and circling each other and yeah with giant giant with, uh, with their fists kind nets. of pointing up to god their knuckles pointing upward but that's post uh, american civil war yeah um weight divisions also you know weight divisions also come into you know up until then it was like sure anybody the biggest guy and the smallest guy the scrappiest guy whatever the uh chambers specified the boxing gloves should be of the best quality and new and, uh, you know, who loved these kind of new, more civilized rules for boxing was an aristocrat, uh, by the name of John Sholto Douglas, who enjoyed boxing, but, you know, befitting his social stature, he wanted it to match the, the correctness of Victorian England. Uh, and he put his imprimatur on these rules because he was the Marquis of Queensbury. Um, those it's called, it's pronounced Marquis. Um, uh, I'm going to say, yeah. Wow. I mean, I learned so much from you, Ken. Well, Marquis would be the French title. Right. 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 But in England, he's not a Marquis. It's, it ends Q-U-E-S-S. Marquis. And uh, yeah, it's the Marquis of Queensborough. Although, the, yeah, the dictionary tells us the I-S variant can also be Marquis or it can be 
marquee. Isn't that interesting? Because I've I've heard it referred to many times in life, and it's always the mar- pronounced marquee. The marquee of Queensbury? Yeah. I've never heard, well, I've, <clears throat> partly I've never heard the word Marquess spoken by anyone until now. So high five. What a uh, what an opportunity this has been for you and for all our listeners. Yeah, this is be, extraordinary. To, to be here the first time you heard the word <laughs> the Marquess. Mar- the Marquess of said, Queensbury. Said correctly. Hmm. Um, and I know how badly you want to make fun you're of me for saying Marquis, <laughs> and you're so mad that it's right. So as the holiday season approaches, John, what is your approach to gift giving? Uh, well, my approach has always been wait until the very last minute and then frantically scramble to come up with gifts for people b- literally Christmas Eve. Uh, but with the supply chain problems now, supply chain, man. you can't really do that. So I don't put it off. I've been looking at stuff, wondering... I mean, how do, how do I do this? If you if you like me, like to give a gift that's personalized. I do, I do. I don't want just some. I hate the idea of just gift. giving everybody the same scented candle. Or I always gift find card. something that really is meaningful from the heart at seven forty five p.m. on December twenty fourth. Well, let me recommend something that works universally, because we all poop. Yes, and everybody y- poops, and yet can show your love and and conscientiousness toward your gift recipient. Okay. Which is a hello tushy bidet. Oh, a hello tushy bidet. I mean, everybody would want to find one of those in their stockings. It's good for the eco-friendly because it right. saves paper. Right. It's it, good for the people who like wet bottoms. It's good for... <laughs> no, it, you can dry. It's good for people who like... For like the tech nerd that wants the new gadget. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it communicates luxury. It does. Yeah. And also it's personal. It's like, hey, I'm 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 thinking about your bottom. Right. And here mm. you go. And it's uh it's kind of like uh it's also cute. It's kind of cute. It's called Hello Tushy. It's not it's called not called like X one seven nine uh rear end cleaner. No. It's got a it's because you don't want something like that aimed at your lower at your nether regions. Yeah. It sounds like a a robot from Star Wars. No, you want Hello Tushy. It's friendly. It's like the robot from Wally, who I believe was named Wally. Hmm. Hello Tushy just washes your bum yeah. with a spray of fresh water. And yeah. then you, you you don't need to worry about your wet bottoms and you can just pat dry. Yeah. It attaches to your existing toilet, installs in minutes, and you are gonna save money and save the earth. You're going to hardly ever have to buy toilet paper again. This would be great for a roommate situation where one of the people never buys toilet paper. Yeah. You could just get a hello tushy. And then problem solved. And then you you're spraying your your roommate all the time. Not just <laughs> not just less of a paper problem, but uh but now your roommate is cleaner too. I, I bet and it's better for your plumbing, especially if you have a uh, a septic, septic system. Septic tank. Yeah, mm-hmm. no more paper down there. So there's a ton of different kinds of people you could gift the gift of Hello Tushy too. So how do you go about, uh, how do you go about giving them a Hello Tushy? Let me tell you, John, give the gift of a clean bum to yourself or your loved ones this holiday season, and you will get 10% off and free shipping right now. If you go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus. Remember to tag Hello Tushy at Hello Tushy on social media. So Hello Tushy can see that you have a Hello Tushy and are happy. Yeah, you want them to celebrate your new hygienic lifestyle. Why not? Have fun with a brand. That's hellotushy.com slash omnibus for 10% off and free shipping. John Shulto Douglas actually became more famous, this is just jumping ahead a bit, in the 1890s when his son, Arthur Douglas, 
took up with no less than, do you know this story? Arthur Douglas took up with, oh yeah, uh, with the, uh, with the Oscar Wilde. With Oscar Wilde. That's correct. Wow. And, uh, the Marquess of Queensbury, the ninth Marquess was... He's the one that prose- or that, that pushed the prosecution of Oscar Wilde for... Well, uh, it, it kind of goes the other way around. He um, he gets mad and insults Oscar Wilde, leaves a calling card by his home calling yeah, him a miserable uh, somdomite or something. A somdomite, He doesn't yeah. even know how to spell somdomite. How, how is that pronounced? <laughs> um, a somdomite? Do you think it's do you Domi, think he, domite? Do you think he's just pretending he doesn't know how to say it? Like I don't, I, I know so little about sodomites, I don't even know where the M's yeah, go. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was a form a reverse virtue signaling. And then it was Wilde who made the mistake of suing for libel. Right. And if you're Oscar Wilde, I don't think you should be suing an aristocrat. How dare you say I, Oscar Wilde, am gay? Yeah, but um, it didn't but go well at trial. It didn't go well at trial, but but Oscar Wilde knew what he was doing because there's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> But that's jumping ahead. That's that's kind of the the other thing that the Ninth Marquess of Queensbury is famous for. In you know in the eighteen sixties uh, or whenever this is, yeah, in the eighteen sixties, he is really pushing for these new rules of boxing, and they're controversial. You know, there's an old guard of boxing, as you can imagine, that would say this is ruining the sport. The right. same thing we say about you know when they try to clamp down on fights in the NHL or they change the shot clock rules. Or, sure, ZZ Top uses uh, Lindrums. Uh, robot umpires. Ugh. <laughs> no, we want robot umpires. Oh, I mean, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, so, so how do you in all of this see the nobility that we ascribed to boxing for the 20th century? The sweet science, we called it. Literally it, the sweet science, even though... It's the least sweet and the least scientific sport imaginable. So do you think that that was the, is a result of the self-justification of aristocrats that like watching uh, lower class men beat each other up for purient reasons? Or do you think that there, there was always a sense of it being the, in a way, the highest sport? I guess the connection to the Greeks and classical times, you know, what two nude young men um, um, right. trying to draw blood. You know, what could be more ennobling? I, I guess it is the purest yeah. expression. And I think they're not wrong that... running. And I, I, I don't want to denigrate boxing because when I, you know, when I joke about it being the sweet science, because it actually is a sport of just incredible, you know, not, not just grueling physically, but just incredible dexterity and right. footwork and pacing. You know, there's the dance element to it. And, there's uh, floating like a... Like a butterfly, you got to do both, and There's, you got to sting like sting a bee. Like a bee, it's a you got to be a two insect threat uh-huh. in boxing. <laughs> got to have both tools. Um, so I think there is something to you know, even though this appeals to my my bloodlust, which is very sublimated here in Victorian England. I think these guys were not wrong that it is also just an incredibly complicated and right and uh, and. A difficult feet you're watching yeah you're right um elegant elegant yeah, in a way yeah yeah, yeah exactly um so the the, the marquis of queensbury's rules end up winning out um and bare knuckle boxing is banned i think in the united kingdom in the 1880s wow um, nanny statism even then <laughs> boy i guess the queen just doesn't want two guys to punch each other uh bloody in an amphitheater what, anymore but it was banned in england was it also banned in their uh like the the um apogee of their colonial territorialism i mean you know they they also controlled 
half the world at that same moment. They don't control America anymore, but these new rules do um, seem to spread to America very quickly. You know, all the all the boxers we can think of, John L. Sullivan and Gentleman Jim Corbett, you know, all these guys spanned both eras and, and were quick to adopt the new Queensbury rules of the boxing gloves era. Right. Um, which I assume, you know, I assume they were smart to do so. It would, it would extend their careers, right? If, yeah. If they were to just stop hitting each other in the nose with their knuckles. Um, they're not idiots about self-preservation. Although you can see like a very dramatic, putting those big goofy mitts on, I'm sure there were lots of people that were like, that's ridiculous. I mean, look, it's like helmets in football. How big do you think, I'm imagining the mitts back then being smaller, like kind of like the way those leather helmets in football were a little less effective, but also, you know, less infantile looking. Yeah, you're right. They were, they were quite a bit smaller. I don't know. Let's. I was looking at some footage today of Jack Johnson boxing in the like around 1908, and, and they were leather colored too, not not these uh, comically red colored ones. These were, um, yeah, you know, you see pictures of guys hitting the bag, and these are much smaller gloves. I mean, it looks like they're just wearing kind of a, a leather mitten, but it's still it's yeah. still the shape of their hand. It's it's a uh, it's yeah. Right. It gets more padded over time, like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the specific uh, story that um, we were requested to tell today by listener Delta Tango. Uh, That's not a real name. Uh, it, it could be his or her real name. I don't know. Delta Tango. Delta, DT. That's, that's uh, his or her call sign. Um, Detoxification. Requested that we cover... A specific boxing match about in April nineteen, uh, April of eighteen ninety three, for the lightweight championship of the South, uh, which was contested in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, which was a kind of a boxing center of the eighteen nineties. They had kind of put a veneer of respectability on boxing by saying, "Yes, we're going to legalize it, but you know, no liquor can be sold, and of course, there will be no fighting on Sundays." And uh, the lightweight. Uh... What, what what's it called? The lightweight championship of the South. The lightweight championship of the South. That seems like a literary award from Oxford, Mississippi. <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem like it would be the biggest boxing event ever, but uh, there was a, a twenty five hundred dollar purse for this boxing match, which apparently was a record. That's a lot of money at the time. Yeah, I mean that's got to be the equivalent of you know, that's high high five figures today, right? Twenty five hundred dollars in eighteen ninety three. Oh yeah, it's got to be a fortune. So and it's a huge crowd, eighty five hundred fans. Oh, I don't know if the, actually I, I can't read my own notes. It's possible that the the crowd size is a record and not the purse size. I'm not sure. Either way, big purse, giant crowd, eighty five hundred people want to see uh, local hero Andy Bowen, mm-hmm. um, veteran lightweight fighter from New, uh, New Orleans, take on the newcomer Jack Burke of Galveston, Texas. Yeah, on the line, the lightweight championship belt of the entire. American South. Now we said that there, uh, you know, boxing is now divided into rounds of three minutes each. What we don't have at this point is any kind of limit on the number of rounds until the fight is called. Oh, wow. Rounds so can go until a uh, knockout. Yeah. A, a fighter has to be knocked down and not be able to, to get back up or, you know, to get back to his, to get back up in a 10 count. Um, and this has not been a logistical problem up until now. But in this particular 
match. You know, everything starts out normally. The match starts at nine p. The bout starts at nine p.m. on the night of April sixth, eighteen ninety-three. For the first uh, fourteen rounds, it actually seems like the visitor, the newcomer, Jack Burke, has uh, an advantage. Um, in the twenty-fifth round, whoa, not something you could <laughs> say anymore. Uh, he actually wobbles uh, Bowen. Bowen teeters. But doesn't go down. His nickname is Iron Bowen, and he's famously resilient, can take a punch, and he doesn't go down. By the 25th round, he's taken quite a few punches. They both have. By the 48th round... Insane. uh, In the 48th round, Brooke actually does knock down Bowen, but the round ends during the countout. So... uh, Oh. uh, Bowen is literally saved by the bell. Does that still happen? Yeah. That can happen. You get you get knocked down. The, they're at a nine count, and then ding, yep. and you're like, "I made it." So, how much of this? How much of this boxing match are they just dancing around each other? I mean, it, it seems like after forty five rounds, you couldn't have been you couldn't have been pummeling each other for forty five well, rounds. I almost feel like much of the the um, exertion of boxing has to be the dancing. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I mean, right. that's going to take it out of you as much as. Swinging, but at if you if by forty five rounds you're both just plodding around the ring, throwing a punch every minute. Well, what really? Yeah, so you're right. It's not. It's not a great spectator sport. Um, this is now what four times the length of right of, of any modern, of these right. of any of these modern twelve round fights. It's kind of got to be a, sort of a great spectator sport because if you're looking for like the if you're looking to test the limits of a human being. Can you imagine fighting for 45 three-minute rounds? Fighting anything. I won't even fight a typewriter that long. In the, fi- <laughs> in the 51st round, um, the crowd starts to notice that the, the pace has slowed down considerably. And even um, Bowen says to Burke, why aren't you swinging at me anymore? Because, you know, Burke had the early advantage in this bout. And that's when... Burke has to say, I can't. My hands are gone. He has, at some point earlier in the round, he earlier in the bout, he has broken bones in both wrists. Oh my goodness. And it's catching up with him. You can't, you can't just, <laughs> no. you can't just box 51 rounds with two broken wrists. Many, even in, even in, uh, I mean, that's not compatible with Marxism. No, no. And presumably the Marquess de Queensberry rules prohibit him from fighting with his elbows. Uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing. He, he, he Previously, he would have had other options. Biting, gouging. Headbutting. Holding a rock in his broken hand. Now he can't do any of that because of, of a killjoy Marquis. Doesn't like gouging, doesn't like somdomy, doesn't, doesn't like anything. So so he's just sort of trying to stay out of the way of punches. That's his strategy. Yes, and Bowen is equal. you know, Bowen does not have broken hands, but he is equally exhausted. So they are just kind of circling each other. And as you can imagine in the situation, the crowd turns very quickly sure. you know it's it's now uh it's now getting on to midnight do they start shooting pistols at the uh, at the ring as was the style of the time <laughs> look we've paid nine cents to get in here fight damn you this is like an incredibly um you know witty and damning 19th century disc they start singing the popular song home sweet home oh, to the fighters they, because they're ready to go to home. convey how late in the evening it is um, these are working men. These yeah, guys, sure. these, they have to go to work the next day. The uh, referee is one Professor John Duffy, who is extremely reluctant 
to call the fight a draw, which he would have to do in the absence of a knockdown. Right. Um, or, a, or any kind of judge's decision. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's no yeah, there's no judge's decision option at this point either. Um, he's afraid to call it a draw because in that point he's wondering, does the would the club have to return the gate? Would they have to return the oh the thousands of dollars, you know, which would not get paid out to the boxers? People didn't come to see the fight, they came to see the winner. Right. Is the presumption. Well, I think the idea is if this is a draw, a new fight will be scheduled. All the people that saw the non-decision will be annoyed if they have to pay again. I see. So uh, so there's all kinds of institutional forces that are preventing the referee from calling a draw. So the 100% fight- 100% not compatible with Marxism. So the, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all these people have to uh, get to work in the morning trying to seize the means of production. Yeah. Uh, we get to the 100th round. No, come on. For the last 50 rounds, neither of them are punching? Not a lot is going on. Not a lot of action in the ring. A lot of hanging and clinching. Yeah. Um, Somebody brought a hibachi out and made some steaks. In the, the, the New York Times report says that um, for the crowd of laboring men, uh, you know, they, they were starting to steal away into the night. The crowd was getting smaller and smaller with every round because for those that remained, quote, it was almost time for them to go to their breakfast. Yeah. Four o'clock in the morning, and these two guys are still circling. The disgust is general, says the New York Times, as the crowd gets um, more and more tired. Many have just, the ones who stayed have fallen asleep in their seats. I think the professor would be tired, too. If he's a professor, he's probably not 27 years old. He's probably some old old Ichabod Crane. What if he's professor, and he's he's Ooh. just some wiry old boxing guy who, who gets the nickname for his... Um, Oh his, yeah, his canny, cagey knowledge of of boxing rules and the, lore. The professor. The professor. I was thinking that you were going to say that he was a furry, <laughs> and that was his his alter ego. Like most, no, but this today, of course, most college professors are furries. Yes. but that was uncommon in the 1890s. Indisputable. They were deeply closeted. They, also, they, profoundly they, consistent with Marxism. <laughs> but you would get an angry card from uh, Lord. Uh, John Stolter Douglas, <laughs> you psalmdomite. If you were to if you were to try dressing as a chipmunk with his son, listen, we talked about this on an earlier episode. Not all furries are psalmdomites. No, it's not sexualized at all. That was the point of the furry episode, right? As I remember it, and by, and by it all, I mean only sixty to a, to to a great degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a Hyatt ballroom full of furries. Almost none of them are um, are deviants of any kind. No, no, frotage is not happening. So in, or or uh, as you would say, fraudage. <laughs> yeah, a fraudage core. In the uh, 108th round, Professor Duffy makes a decision. He announces to the fighters in the crowd that this will go two more rounds. Oh, wow. He wants to give them a final chance. He's just making up knockdown. rules, though, at this point. Yeah, because, uh, uh, you know, he, he hasn't, he's missed his chance at the 100th round, which would be a nice round number. Yeah. I recently... We uh, missed our chance at the 100th episode to shut this whole thing down. I announced... Um, what did we just do? We just had the 400th, 400th episode, but you had already decided it was going to be about Merkins. Yeah. So, so we didn't even, we couldn't even, yeah, that's what happened. Why was that not our last episode? <laughs> <laughs> Can't improve on that. We went out on Merkins. Uh, I recently announced that I was going to wrap up this weekly email trivia quiz I've been running since 2006. Oh, why and did you decide to do that? For the same reason. I had a nice round number coming up. <laughs> and you were done. <laughs> the crowd was chanting home sweet home and right. falling asleep in their chairs. No, I was running out of I was running out of questions and running out of steam and why, I why was I not on that email list? You could have subscribed. I had to have known about it. You don't other people I, I didn't go door to door to other people and tell them and they found out. <laughs> yeah, but you're sitting here every week. You uh, you've never referred to it before. I had to spend one hour every Sunday writing this quiz and it was starting to annoy me. 
Right. Because I'm a, I'm a fancy lad. Yes, you who are. Do, who doesn't like to spend an hour every Sunday doing that. I could be watching uh, Howard Cosell yes. on Wide World Sports. <laughs> Uh, I, I was starting to, I was finding myself saving up good ideas for like other outlets, you know, paying outlets, yeah, you know, right. like, Hey, this could be Jeopardy. Like, why don't I give this to the Jeopardy writers? Right. Why isn't this an omnibus topic? Which now is like one third of all conversations I have with people. They're the, like, Hey, I had an interesting idea for an omnibus project. The thing about omnibus having a lead time of a month or two is often we would record a show and I'd be like, this is actually a Tuesday trivia question. And I would sneak it in there. And then when the show would come out, people would say, oh, hey, you wrote a trivia question. A little foreshadowing. I was double dipping, John, this whole time. It's all right. I hate to admit it. Hey, make your money how you can. But I did not get the – we had just passed Tuesday trivia number 750 when I realized I was running out of steam. And I was like, oh, no, there's not another round number until 800. (sighs) So we're wrapping it up at 800 because I I, I don't have the legs for 1,000. Yeah. I can't go the distance. Ain't going to be no rematch. Yeah. You limped, limped across the finish line. So the fighters and the crowd, what re- what remains of them, know that there's two more rounds in which they can uh, try to score a knockdown. And uh, spoilers, it doesn't happen. They just continue to dang- <sighs> dangle and droop off each other for two more, two more three-minute rounds. And the match finally comes to an end at the end of the 110th round. Um, seven hours and 19 minutes later. Good. So somewhere between four and five in the morning. Uh, both fighters have lost about 10 pounds. Whoa. In, um, mostly in fingers and toes that have been knocked (laughs) off. No, uh, water weight, I presume. And, uh, Burke, the one who broke both hands spends the next six weeks in bed. And I'm sure Bowen is not too much better. Um, amazing to find two men who are absolutely evenly matched like like that's astonishing what a thrill for the crowd that should have been yeah well i mean every feint matched immediately <laughs> as how, they both play nine-dimensional chess for seven hours and 19 minutes how did bowen the man without two broken wrists not just manage to get in close enough to punch him real hard put him down yeah i guess maybe uh we presume that uh burke had the broken wrist but bowen was in better shape Better endurance, know. Uh, you know, could outlast him even though nobody's nobody's thrown a punch. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, or maybe that Burke is super good at fainting and keeping away from, I mean, basically, they're both out of gas. Yeah, so, like, yeah. neither of them can deliver a blow that would, you know, even, uh, you know, dislodge a whisker but neither wants to throw the fight either i mean that's the crazy thing after seven and a half hours you'd think one guy would just lay down but there uh, it must have been that the prize money was worth it to to keep to keep on your feet yeah i think they ended up splitting the purse but they wouldn't have known that right they wouldn't have known what the um contingencies were for a draw because there was no such thing as a draw in boxing until Again, the early morning hours of April 7th, 1893. And this did eventually change uh, boxing. Um, I mean, quite very soon after this, um, 15 rounds became standard. And I think it was for this reason, just the specter that, wait, this could happen and a game could go forever. There is something exciting to me about a... I'm annoyed this year that baseball games don't go into extra innings as much. because yeah, they annoying. They plant the runner, the ghost runner on second. Uh, that the, doesn't make any sense to me at all. That's just the craziest thing I ever heard. It's the dumbest. And, you know, when I'm there with my kids, I am kind of happy that, um, 
you know, if we want to stay to see the end of the game, it, it you know, we're never leaving at 1230 anymore, which right. occasionally does happen. But I feel know. like they should give uh, that both teams should avail themselves of all the bats and balls that they have in their dugouts. And the two uh, should just like storm the field in, in a, like a battle royale. Did I ever tell you my idea for soccer? Mm. You know, cause soccer is another sport that, you know, infamously ends in drama free draws a lot. Right. I don't know. That's, that's some editorializing. I'm drama, sure, I'm, drama free draw. I'm sure we have angry, um, future, uh, 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 Brazilians. Who are like the draw is the noblest c- conclusion of any sport. It's the beautiful game. And yeah. what is better than a scoreless, beautiful game? Uh, my idea is that, uh, in overtime, the goals are on, um, tracks, kind of like the retractable roof on a stadium. The goals just widen slowly <laughs> until each goal is just the width of the field. What a great idea, right? You, you, you reach uh, regulation time and then the game just keeps going, but the goals just... I mean, you could do the same thing. You could do the Bowen Burke solution of just breaking the goalie's hands. No, no, no. It's but a, that the, seems a little rough. The goals get one inch wider sure. every 30 seconds. Think about the drama of watching them kind of creep inexorably apart, like like the moon rising, Yeah, you know? Uh, as the as the alarmed goalkeeper looks left and right because he hasn't been informed of this for some reason. What what is happening? Uh, so by the you know by the by our era, um, fifteen round title matches were commonplace, and that actually dropped to twelve, mostly because of a tragedy in 1982 where a Korean boxer named uh, Duck Koo Kim Kim Do Kim. Kim Duck Su, something like that, hmm. uh, was killed in a match with Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Oh, I remember Boom Boom. Which I, I, I don't I see why shortening the match. Uh, I was, mean, it, well, was he killed in the 14th see, round? there you go. Clearly. <laughs> if he was killed in the seventh <laughs> round, it doesn't make any sense. Look, we're getting rid of a third of the rounds. That reduces the death of Korean boxers by 20%, quite right. probably. Maybe. We, we, we've had a, Maybe so. We've had a guy around the numbers. Um, so today, even in... Um, Title matches, uh, 12 rounds are more common. We will never see another 110-round match. But, you know, to this day, there are 13 deaths a year. Whoa. I had no in boxing. idea. It is not... Um, Still, it's more dangerous than being a police officer. It's, it's, no. It's, it's not inconsiderable. That's not an inconsiderable list. When you count, when you, you know, total the number of hours people spend in boxing matches versus the number of hours cops spend on patrol. And it's, it might be more dangerous per minute than being a police officer. There um, were 374 police officers killed in 2020. Right. But again, think about the number of hours spent more, more police officers died over the last 18 months due to COVID than in the line of duty. As right. I think you probably have seen. Um, tragically, one of the, boxers who ended up dying was none other than uh, our friend Jack Burke. Oh, who broke both hands in this match. He was fighting a fighter named Kid Levine a few years later and took a headshot that I think broke a bone in his face and concussed him and he fell awkwardly to the canvas and on falling to the canvas, which I think was probably harder than the now, he fractured his skull and bled out died in the ring. Died in the ring. Um, he should have stopped when he broke both wrists. That's that's a sign, right? Yeah. That's the universe telling you, pick another field. You are in the wrong field. Why are you not an accountant? If you had to guess, because it seems you know this is the the bias of of uh, of contemporary times. You always think that you are at 
the end of history here it's, in the moment. It's, you're in an unprecedented moment. Because we in, uh, here at, in Omnibus Bunker know that we are, we're very conscious of the future. We take the long view. We're very conscious of, of futurelings being different, different people with, with subsequent rules. What do you think the next rule in boxing will be? I don't know. Is there any culture? Now that I've read about all these countries that used to ban boxing, bringing it back, it doesn't seem like there's any cultural momentum toward reforming it, toward reforming boxing safety wise. And and I think it's for the same reason that the NFL, the thing the NFL is grappling with is that um, it's inherently unsafe. Like two, <laughs> right. two, two um, fit young men uh, cannot just train for years to get in the best shape possible and then just try to bash each other in the head and torso for, for um, 36 minutes. Maybe we should, without, something bad happening sometimes. Maybe we should, we should suggest kind of the reverse Jennings rule where after the eighth round, the boxing ring gets <laughs> excessively smaller <laughs> that seems until more, the 12th. That seems more dangerous. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's it's like it, it results in a conclusive fight a little faster. Here's what you do. So there's a 10 count, right? We all know there's a 10 count. Right. There's 12 rounds. After the third round, the 10 count gets reduced by a second every round. Okay. In the fourth round, you just have to put somebody down for nine seconds, and the fifth round for eight seconds, and so on. Like Until that. by the end of the match, if somebody just stumbles and is down for one second, the referee's like, over, it's over. I mean, this is harder on the referee that has to keep track of uh, uh, you know, a shrinking arithmetic amount. Yeah, I mean, what do you do about a, a boxing match where one boxer dominates for nine rounds, and then the other boxer just knocks him out in the 10th? Um, that happens all the time. And all, all, all the, the judges were like, I don't know. He was ahead on points. I was going to give it to the other guy, but you know, yeah, you can't argue with success. And that concludes the longest prize fight entry 733.he1032 certificate number 26215 in the omnibus futurelings. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era and hasn't been converted into a real-life prize fight with your aging uncle who believes that 9-11 was faked. In the future, all podcasts will be uh, pugilistic right, right. exhibitions. They'll only happen live, and they'll, and they'll be pitted against one another. You have to... You know, you have to listen in between the kind of the panting and the, you know, and the mouth guard <laughs> to hear, um, you know, people tell boring stories about their cats. I really hope we don't get pitted against my favorite murder because I feel like we're going to lose. Yeah, no true crime podcast. They will take us down. Uh, you can uh, you can go on to one of the very few social media monopolies: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, Snap, Spork. Um, splooge and find at Ken Jennings. He's out there maintaining his I'm presence. On, I'm on splooge and I, uh, I'm archived there. You can find the thoughts that I used to have on the internet. You can, uh, email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com for a more personal and curated relationship with the two of us. Unless you act like the person who emailed me yesterday and said, hey, I just listened to the Father Coughlin episode. I know it's from 2018, but I just wanted to correct you about St. Saint Therese de Lisieux. And if you guys couldn't... Oh, be, and that one you'll pronounce in French. If you guys couldn't be bothered to Google that, like, is this podcast even worth my time? Whoa. 
And I, I would say no. <laughs> I, I said, look, you just emailed a total stranger to complain about a podcast from March 2018, and you think I'm wasting your time? <laughs> Kapow! I have not heard a reply. Whammo! Take that, pedant. I'm, I'm telling this story to dissuade people from emailing us. Uh, well, email us with praise, <laughs> and email us with uh, discount codes for... Uh, patio furniture at Wayfair, but do not email us complaining no, about... No complaints about Father Coughlin, please. Yeah. The bridge too far. Uh, please support the show. Uh, your contributions, and it's not really a contribution, it's support. Contribution implies um, that you're you're tithing a little bit of money to keep uh, poor kids in school. We're not poor kids, and you're not tithing. In fact, we're less deserving of them. In fact, don't give to us. Give to poor kids. No, no, no. Give to poor kids, but also support us. They're two completely different uses two, of your two money. Two different lines of your budget. That's right. You're giving to poor kids, and you're supporting us. You've got the Bowery Boys on one line, these dead-end kids in the boxing gym. Right. And uh, But once you've maxed out your contribution to them... Right. You will have no choice other than to give to a favorite podcast or two. Supporting us is, uh, because these podcasts are free, it's exactly the same as uh, paying an admission fee to a concert or going to see a movie in a movie theater. Exactly. It's, Except, unlike these things, you are actually getting something along the lines of 10 hours of entertainment a month. 10 hours a month. Which few concerts will offer. That's probably more than most of you speak to your spouses. That's longer than the world's longest prize fight on April 6th, 1893. 10 hours of content and you can support it at any amount at patreon.com slash omnibus project. We highly recommend that you do. No, we make no warranties about the quality of the content, but it will in fact be 10 hours long. I believe that the 10 hours of content we provide is, if I were to give it a Yelp review, I would say... Well, I would say one star. I love it, but they didn't have parking. Or the the street parking was... Uh, my car got broken into while I was in the restaurant. One star. But I love Omnibus Project. One star. Uh, go hang out with other Futurelings in the future on Futureling groups in all of the aforementioned social media spots. There's a Reddit and a Facebook page and a Discord server. And there's a huge community on Splooge. And you can actually mail us things in real life, real-time physical mail um, at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I'm just looking at some postcards people have sent us. Harold sent us a uh, a free 1970s-era postcard from the Meridian Motor Hotel in Thompson, Manitoba. A happy home away from home. Well, it's not clear how that... How does the comma work here? It says, a happy home away from home, cable TV, phone, five-piece bath, cafeteria, and dining room. I don't want a home away from my cable TV, phone, cafeteria, <laughs> dining room. Uh, Thompson, Manitoba is a very small town in Manitoba. It's very far north, says Harold. Yeah, I have not. I've I've stayed in uh, motels in Manitoba, but I have not gone that far off the beaten path. This is good. Harold notes that um, even though this postcard is clearly, from the look of it, 40 to 50 years old. Uh, they it must, looks like a logging camp. They must have printed a ton <laughs> of them because these were still free at the front desk of the Meridian Motor Hotel <laughs> in Thompson, Manitoba, earlier this year. That is the part of Manitoba that's really getting closer to Hudson Bay than it is to Winnipeg. This is, yeah, uh, he offers to show us around if we're ever up there. Hey, right on. Uh, we also got, and I can't, I don't know who sent these because they came from Public and not from the person who sent them. But uh, 
They they sent their mail to us to T Public. Well, no, they got T Public to design us these stickers that say Albany is excellent. Huh. And then have what appears to be possibly the skyline of Albany. That is, that is the futuristic skyline of the of the uh, of, New York State campus of the New Albany Arcology, which now sprawls over a hundred square miles up there. Although I have to say, there's a there's a a, a really cool view, and that that picture is of the side view which is like kind of doesn't do it justice there's also a yellow yoke like sun hovering kind of apocalyptically over the campus and it says albany is egg excellent is there do you get the joke no did we i think we did disparage albany i mean at some point oh well, i you know i praised it sesame street music museum uh in a past in a past addendum we will discuss some of the Albany feedback we got, but I I don't remember how eggs came up. But now we each have a sticker that says Albany is excellent. Well, Thank you, go, anonymous sender. That'll go right on my guitar case. Oh no, this is from Jonathan. We got an email from this guy defending the honor of the fine city of Albany and send, saying he would send us stickers. The egg is a reference to the city's oddly shaped performing arts center, which actually inspired that they might be giant song. The egg. Is that right? Is there a... Is there a They Might Be Giants song about the weird Albany... Oh, it, the song is called Albany, parentheses, the egg. There well, we go. Boy, this is, you know, like, as a uh, They Might Be Giants adjacent musician, this is out of my depth. Yeah, I mean, you missed your chance to sing a song about the Albany Performing Arts Center, and it's, and it's odd shape. I've driven by it, but I never saw it from above, so I didn't know it was shaped like an egg. Oh, no, that's not true. It's visibly shaped like an egg. It was that I didn't care. And here's a very confusing... Um, we got a wedding event. This came to me, but it, it was addressed to me at Omnibus, even though it, it came to my home. It's Whoa, a, it's creepy. A, it's a wedding invite to a streaming wedding this December from two lovely people whose last names both start with the letter Z, which I assume is how they found each other. Crazy. They, they were they, both called last at the... They've been called last their whole lives, <laughs> and they finally found each other. How, um, what percentage of our mail is, would you describe as confusing? I thought you were going to say wedding invitations. <laughs> uh, what percentage is confusing? Yeah. We get the most confusing mail in the podcast <laughs> game, and we are proud of it. Um, here's a picture of their kids. Um, our son is so sad in this picture because his stroller can't fit in mommy's car we really need a minivan, hint, hint. He's uh, too old for a stroller. He, he ought to be out uh, walking like I did when I was his age. Yes. Uh, the younger one is plausibly a, a stroller user. But I, I feel like I have only got this invitation to these total strangers in hopes that I will buy them a minivan. They need a minivan, they say. Does this often work? Let me see. They're, they're, they're publishing, or they're, they're, they're actually having their photographs uh, turned into like print photos so they have the money for that oh look at them they're really adorable and he is very upset so let's decide should we send them a minivan no why not i don't have a minivan to send what are the what are the conditions under which we will send random listeners a minivan they're yeah they're an adorable family and they're getting married the day before new year's eve new year's eve eve they both well what's very interesting is that their their last names both start with Z and are followed by the letters E and I, but in different in orders. In some order. Yes. Her, her name is Z E I and his name is Z I E. Is it incompatible Whoa. with Marxism to not give them a minivan? 
Hmm. They need a minivan. They do need a minivan. I, you know, that's undeniable. Looking at them, uh, they got the two kids. And they got the strollers. But no, 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 no. The the support flows one direction. We give them the support of ten hours of of content. And not a thing to drive around and listening to it in. No, they give us the support of of the uh, monthly contribution to patreon.com slash on. What the Z people don't realize is that it doesn't scale. You know, they... Uh, All right. You know, there, there's only one of us for them to write to. So that's fine. That's that's a very workable thing to do. Maybe they think... They don't just, understand that we don't have a minivan for every, for every one of them. They think that because they're the first to ask for it. Yeah. But that's the thing. I'm always on podcasts asking somebody to make me the CEO of their startup. And all it takes me nothing to say. And all that has to happen is one person says, hey, why don't you be the CEO of my startup? So they, maybe they ask every podcast, can you send us a minivan? And one of them finally does. Uh, it will not be this one. We also got a card from Tim in Maine. Uh who is sent us a birthday card, although it's not our birthday. In fact, he just used a, a spare birthday card he had around to tell us that his own problem with the Botter-Meinhof frequency illusion is that for the past 15 years or so, he sees the number 311, 311, nearly every day, multiple times a day. Whoa. And he assumes that the Botter-Meinhof show has explained it merely as the illusion of, of, uh, of mindfulness and frequency that comes with that, except... That our Bader Meinhof episode was entry number. Wait for it, three one one. Whoa, super weird. It was our three hundred and eleventh show. Let me see if I can uh, maybe offer an explanation to uh, to our correspondent. Is he by any chance the guitarist in the band Three Eleven? <laughs> because that might go a long way to explaining. What if he just um, is a Three Eleven super fan and also he sees the number three one one everywhere and he hasn't put two and two together? Oh, because he's got all their records and a poster oh, on the of wall. Of course, it's because I have <laughs> so much Three One One merch and I wear a different Three One One T shirt every day. Is that band still together? Three, uh, three eleven is. I think they they will still play shows. Yeah, I believe yes. they're. Do you know what the name means? I didn't know this. No, uh, that is the Omaha Police Code uh, code for indecent exposure. Oh, it's a Van Halen type thing. Like uh, OU eight one two is the thing that the cops say when they want you to share a donut with them. Uh, in this case, Nick Hexum actually was picked up for streaking. He says. And Whoa. decided to immortalize that. Indecent in exposure. Ha, ha, ha. Tim says he's going to become an omnibus supporter if we read his card on air. And we made fun of him much less than the, the grasping minivan people. So I think he's going <laughs> to I think he's going to become a supporter at this point. Hey, hooray. Thank you, Tim. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.